All right. Welcome, everyone. We, the live stream is on, and tonight we are live streaming from Los Angeles. We just arrived for the Conscious Life Expo. Welcome to everyone who's going to be coming. We are in booth 82, and we are going to be doing spoon bending at 6 o'clock on Saturday, and then we're also going to be doing a, a talk about how to bend reality on Sunday at three o'clock. So hopefully you guys can stop by and see us uh, here at Conscious Life Expo. Tonight is really exciting because we, when we booked this interview, uh, Michelle, who was booking it for us, said, you're going to absolutely love this guy. And I really think that's been the case. Looking over all of his work, I've been talking about ball lightning for two months. <laughs> all my friends, I'm like, oh my gosh. And what we love about Simeon is that he is really interested in the research. So understanding subtle energy, which has been uh, a very interesting new science as he talks about. Now, he's also invented a totally new way to remote view, and he's been doing this for over two decades. And as you know, we have a remote viewing program here with Alan Steinfeld, and we've been doing off-planet remote viewing with teams for over six seasons, but we're going to be going into that. I also want to tell you, we're going to be talking about crop circles and ETs. And we're also going to be talking about Bigfoot and when those phenomenons occur, where and how. So uh, Dr. Sibian Hines has started a, a foundation, a nonprofit that is called Resonance that is all about his understanding of remote viewing and how he's doing that. He's living in Boulder, Colorado, where he also teaches and it's really exciting because all of you star seeds out there know what it's like to be a pioneer, to step out of the normal frame of reference, frame of thinking. Well, he's dedicated his entire life to the, his curiosity and his research. And we're so grateful for your brilliant mind because it's really nice to have such a scientific mind. His YouTube is Fractal Friend and um, Mount baldi.com. I'm going to share some of his links in the chat. So if you're listening on Portal to Ascension or New Realities, please jump back into the Zoom. You can do that at lightnet.org slash unlimited. This is the final month where you'll be able to come in. It's going to be members only starting next month. So I encourage you to join today uh, if you're considering it. There's over 72 events that we do throughout the year. So, uh, so yeah, welcome members and welcome Simeon. It's great to have you. Hi, Zanka. Thanks a lot for having me here tonight. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's start a little bit with crop circles and then I want to go into the remote viewing. So what is your understanding of crop circles and how they're created? Yeah, the crop circle topic is very interesting and um, somewhat complex. I got interested in the topic. I didn't know anything about them when I finished graduate school, uh, but it it's something that came up during remote viewing training, which we can talk about. It just as a target and, and as a viewer, you want to get feedback on your targets. I mean, we can't all go to Mars or, you know, structures on the moon, but, but we can go visit crop circles. And, uh, you know, viewers view a whole range of targets. Sometimes it's just, you know, ordinary 3D targets here on Earth that we're familiar with. But sometimes you get these targets that you're given to view that don't have obvious feedback. So the only way is to go over there. So I did go over there in 1997 
Uh, I met this guy at a UFO conference in Denver, Ron Russell, who just as I was getting curious in the topic said he was giving tours over there. And I, I told him about my ideas about fractal geometry and patterns and energy. And he said, oh, you should come along with us so you get something out of this. So I went over there in 97. And at that time, I mean, they were really a complete mystery. But even being there just a couple a week or two, we saw evidence of strange electromagnetic effects on our own cameras and equipment. And I heard stories from other people of their equipment being affected, being in and around crop circles. So it was pretty apparent that there was something going on there, non-ordinary electromagnetic fields in and around these patterns created in the wheat. Now we have to remember, crop circles go back you know, at least a hundred years. They're not just a new uh, phenomena. Uh, there's a book, The Secret History of Crop Circles by Terry Wilson, which I'm happy to say is, is back in print again, which lists and goes through crop circles, you know, since the 1920s in all different countries. So they've been showing up for a long time, but there was this sort of boom in crop circles in the 80s and 90s in the UK. And, and that's sort of when I came in kind of on the tail end of that and got to walk around in them and see them. And we did find that they are made by multiple sources. I mean, some people want it to be all one thing or the other. They want it to be all ETs and UFOs. And there's no doubt that those patterns are found around where you do see UFOs, UAP, as we call them now, flying saucers get close to the ground. We also did find that there were groups of people. I didn't believe it at first. It didn't seem like humans could make something that big. We found groups of people that were imitating those patterns and had, you know, graphics artists and people that were good at computer scientists who had learned how to make some of these at night and could make good ones at night, big ones. But the real surprise was that even the ones they made would affect our equipment and batteries. And when we started making some, as an experiment, we pay the farmer, put up a sign, this is man-made experiment, we would get some of those same effects in ours. So what we began to think is that there's some sort of cymatic effect, a frequency effect of a coherent shape with certain type of, you know, vortex patterns that was really affecting reality in ways that I, I never would have expected just making patterns in wheat if it was like very precise and had certain ratios in it that it would affect electronics, but that's uh, that's what happens. That is so fascinating. So have you gotten to understand which crop circle patterns make which frequencies, or is it all just elevating? What exact frequency are you talking about? Well, uh, in my first book, Opening Minds, there's a poster of it in the back. That type of big spiral pattern that you can see on the cover of Opening Minds. We, you know, what it seemed to me as someone who had studied fractal geometry in graduate school, you know, fractals are these self-similar shapes that look like nature, you know, like clouds and mountain ranges and rivers and things that branch out like our cardiovascular system. Uh, and even hair, things that sort of keep branching and have finer and finer detail are what we call fractals. And fractals are a very important part of nature that have been overlooked by science for a long time. It's how nature gets a lot of volume into a finite space as it just keeps branching and branching. And a lot of signals and patterns are based on these fractal patterns, not uh, 
these kind of fractal distributions, not this sort of linear idea that we were all taught in school that everything fits to a line. Fractals tell us not everything reduces to a line. You don't want it to reduce to a line. You want it to have that complexity. What it seemed to me was that some of the patterns that had that repeating sort of structure on smaller and smaller scales to some degree, the fractal type spiral patterns were the ones that were most electromagnetically active. And we, we would have a static meter. We would walk around with this static meter. And, and at first we couldn't quite make sense of which ones were really active in terms of affecting the static meter. But it did seem after a while, it wasn't patterns that were square or the ones that were more uh, sort of ordinary looking. I mean, in terms of patterns that would mimic uh, everyday shapes. It seemed to be the ones that were more oriented towards spirals and vortices that were the ones that would be most active. And it wouldn't be necessarily the biggest ones. It could be smaller ones too. But it's the strangest thing. When you walk in there and you've had these cameras, you know, you've had them on your vacations, you've had them at the beach, you've had them at lakes, and they've worked fine for years. And you remember these cameras we used to have in the 90s when I started studying this, you know, they were those, those Sony cameras and they had high eight film and then it went to kind of digital and mini DV. You know, now everything is solid state, but back then we had moving mechanisms. To see those literally burn out when you put them down on a crop circle, the, the, literally melted inside a camera that had been so reliable. You know how reliable those devices were. You just charged them and they worked month in, year in, year out, all of a sudden you took them into a crop circle, batteries discharged in seconds. And you could see it in one crop circle, so-called Devil's Den in 1999. Uh, I saw three separate devices go kaput in half an hour. I mean, my device and someone else's a camcorder started malfunctioning and then someone else came in and they, you could, they were talking, we were watching them. They said our GPS, it was fresh batteries, supposed to last for 14 hours. Go into the circle, zap, batteries gone. So there was something really going on. It just was another clue in this puzzle. Are there other fields of energy that we haven't been taught about that matter? That if it affects your electronic devices, at a very minimum, I think everyone can agree, it matters if your devices stop working. And you know, this was the basis for the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab pair at Princeton in their micro PK studies that was funded by McDonnell Douglas because they were concerned initially when it started out, it ran for about 20 years. Uh, and uh, they were concerned that pilots emotions could affect the devices and maybe it would have a negative impact on these very sensitive devices you know, in a plane, in a fighter plane. Well, this is sort of that same idea is that perhaps shapes, there's something else going on that could really mess with your electronics. And it's something we should be paying attention to. So that's really what caught my attention with the crop circles initially, not to mention orbs that were seen around them. I've seen them myself on a number of occasions, uh, what we now know as ball lightning. It has many different states and it would show up in and around these crop circles. Uh, and also there were UFO, UAP sightings, even amongst the human circle makers as we got to know some of these groups. These were not hoaxers, Zanka. These were like artists that were convinced they were creating what they called natural magic. 
I liked these people. They were not, for the most part, the ones I met, and I didn't meet all of them. They were not going out there to try to fool people and make something that they think is, you know, from ET. We think, and it's not, we're, we're, we think when we create this, there's some pattern of energy that's laid down when we're making the formation. And that's what motivates us to keep doing this. And when I got to know them better, they would describe small UFOs coming over the formations as they made them. Small triangular craft. I'd never heard about these. We, we all know about these huge triangular craft, you know, Phoenix Lights type triangles, Hudson Valley UFO. These were small ones, what we call the mini UFOs that would come over as they were in the process of really, it could scare them. And I know of a case, and I, I wrote about it in Opening Minds, where a group of circle makers was chased out of a circle by orbs while they were starting to make it, which got made them feel maybe they shouldn't be there. They were literally chased out by orbs. Yeah, you know, as you were saying all this, that was that was what was ticking through my mind. I said, well, wait a minute. Even though those were made by these magicians, I bet you the ETs saw that and said, oh, this is so beautiful. They're talking to us like they're commuting. They're making art back just like we do when we do music with ETs. We sing to them. They sing to they, they use their, their electronics. And we know from our research with ham radios that they 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 can go through this dimension and affect our physical devices because they play on our radios all the time. So I think they probably thought it was fun to presence themselves in that in those things. And you just confirmed it. How cool. So my question to you is. What did you feel emotionally or physically while you were in those spaces? Because I've heard the same things from friends who've gone to the crop circles. They had, you know, they, their bodies felt different. What happened? How long do you think it lasts? Like how long does that energy last or do they have to be around? You know? So yeah. What, what did you feel like when you were in there? Yeah. Some of them really make you feel giddy. And it's hard to know exactly why. Is it the thrill of being in something that's this huge geometric pattern, the size of a football field, super precise, and just the sort of sheer awe of it? But you also feel that there's a feeling there that you don't find in an ordinary wheat field. So some of them would make you feel really good and almost high in a sense. And there were others that made you feel kind of low, like they had like a low vibrational feeling to them. Like you didn't want to stick around. Isn't that interesting? Some of them, you just wanted to stay there all day. And as more people would come in, it would just be this sort of little party going on out there in this field, you know, as some people called them temporary temples, you know, these little temporary spaces where the rules of reality were bent, bent in a different way. And it was fun. And you felt like almost anything could happen out there in a good way. Something could show up that you didn't expect. And people would have like these weird space-time anomalies in and around the crop circles, what we call a time slip. I think it's the most common name for it, where time would not pass in an ordinary way. They may go out and come back and feel like it was a long time in the or a short time that people would say you were gone for a long time or vice versa, things like that, which, you know, I've heard of many different accounts of this now. It happens around UFOs, even Bigfoot cryptids can cause these time distortions. 
and time slips almost as if the crop circle could act like a bridge to a parallel reality. So some of them would have that effect and some of them felt kind of like you didn't want to be there very long, like it just wasn't the vibe you wanted to experience. So they're all different. And it's a little hard to know exactly why, except that perhaps that the, the helicity of the circle, you know, the stalks are sort of all pointed in this same direction, mostly in a spiral type of form, that that had a certain frequency to it based on the diameter of the circle. It's not very hard to compute the frequency of the crop circle, you know, just based on its size and speed of light and so forth. You could kind of derive a basic frequency just kind of on the fly in your mind. And perhaps that has something to do with it. Like, I'm not sure exactly, but they feel they do feel different. And some of them are great. And some of them are like, I don't want to be here too long. Wow, that is so fascinating. So I want to get it the, to the cryptid conversation. But one more thing um, yeah, yeah. is that you were saying that the government was trying to research whether the emotions of the pilots were affecting the planes. And I'm wonder, I'm sitting here wondering what your theory is about our own consciousness. So in those spaces of that crop circle, uh, there were people visiting it and creating it that had very high uh, consciousness openness, right? They they were, because my th first theory, when you were telling me all about the, the anomalies, I was like, well, maybe it was the consciousness of the person that created it thinking, wow, something crazy and cool is going to happen here. And so they their mind programmed that. So I'm wondering... What about the emotions and the creators? Did you notice different creators? They call themselves magicians. Were they programming intentions into those? And if so, what were their intentions? And also, what is your theory about the ETs? Are they in our consciousness or are they looking into our dimension? Like, how do you understand that? What's your theories on that? Oh, that's some big questions there. Well, the first uh, aspect of that, yeah, the circle makers that I got to know would say incantations uh, before they made the circle. They, they would set a tone. And the general sort of uh, things that would be said before they made it would be, you know, like, let everyone who experiences this circle have some magic in their lives. So it was like a positive intention that they set before they even started. And, and the techniques they would use to make it, these were pretty mechanical. We're not talking about broadcasting sound waves or Schumann you know, resonances or anything like that. They were, they were using boards and ropes and things. And, and we, that's the technique that we learned how to do too. Um, but it didn't seem to matter if they had the right intention. It seemed that they were, you know, it's it's a real sub subliminal sort of process. But as they made it, they had, uh, you know, a constructive feeling. It wasn't to fool people or anything like that. It was to create a sacred space, a magical space, uh, almost like this was some sort of. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's exactly what you said happened. Is people walked. Yeah. And they did leave it that right. it what they created of like oh like complete and open mindedness in that in that sacred space. Yeah, no, it's true, and it's sort of like the circle was this bridge between technology and magic, because 
it had a mathematical precision to it and you're using some very basic technology, you know, boards and ropes and things in the ones that I know about that are human made. I've spoken to people that have seen flying saucers flatten meadows and so forth. There's no doubt that UFOs can affect plants and grain crop and everything else you can imagine, car engines and all these things. They, they, that is the whole subject in and of itself. There's no doubt that those type exist, but the ones that I saw in the UK starting in the late 90s going until recently uh, were, uh, you know, they were made in this method. But it does seem that the, yeah, I think that's a good point, Zeka. The people that made it, the original creators, their intention uh, would seem to affect the whole tone of the circle itself. And I, I would imagine as people came into it, they would add some energy too, uh, because we're dealing with living plants. So th this is not like a totally inert substance. This isn't like sand or clay, but this is something that's living and it's going to be eaten in not too distant future anyway. It's going to be harvested soon. So why not become a crop circle on the way to being harvested, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. And uh, I love that. So then the second part of the question yeah. is that because the ETs know what your intention is, right, because they can, if you're calling them, working with them, presencing them with them. Um, well, I've had experiences where I, I know that they can read my mind because sometimes I speak out loud and sometimes I don't and they still answer me on the radio. So, so what is what is your under what is your theory on on how are they in another dimension is the another dimension higher frequency can they see us can they hear us are they allowed to interact with us are they a figment of our own consciousness imagination what is your theory about them uh no i don't think they're a figment of our imagination i mean i think we're surrounded by many different types of life forms beings i mean this is what i wrote about in my most recent book, Dark Matter Monsters. I mean, I think it's gonna be the biggest wake up call for humanity to realize there's other life forms around and they have abilities that we're like in kindergarten or nursery school compared to them. You know, they can change their frequencies. They can go from a visible state to an invisible state. And it's not just visitors from other galaxies, other parts of our solar, you know, our own galaxy or even solar system. I mean, it's not even extraterrestrials. There, there's indigenous life forms on the planet that are very good at avoiding humans when they want to and just showing up when it's convenient for them. And we can talk about that in a moment. But it does seem to me that when you're experiencing something like a crop circle, it's affecting you in a cumulative way every time you look at one, even if it's just in a book at home or a pattern on the wall or visiting them. And I think that slowly conditions your frequency. I mean, quantum mechanics tells us that everything has a frequency. It's a pretty much a, a function of, of the Planck constant. It's, it's, it's basic, you know, math that quantum mechanics told us about, you know, Einstein being one of the people that discovered this and the black body radiation. You know, he was friends with Planck and he, and, he discovered this in 1905. This has been around for a while. I think it being exposed to the crop circles, it changes you in ways that maybe you don't totally understand, but you start, you know, considering bigger questions. You start thinking about 
math and how shapes are related to energy and, and particularly how do we affect our environment because those fields are usually just used for industrial agriculture right and all the stocks are just standing up in a very even uniform way i mean in statistics we call it a uniform distribution it's not that interesting a uniform distribution is where everything is all the same and those wheat plants are planted by you know a seed driller and they're sort of at regular distances and you know and there are these tram lines that go to the fields so when the crop circles put in there you have this geometric shape often a fractal sort of shape and that affects the energy of the area and i think that begins to impact you and you begin to open up to a different range of phenomena right your perception starts to change uh, people experience a lot of different things in crop circles and i think it's not just things coming to you you're actually taking the blinders off you know you're taking off the industrial blinders and you're looking at this you've never looked at a field before this way your whole life you've looked at a field of grain crops as just something that you know it's the way we modified nature it has this sort of economic value some destructive ecological value because we know monocultures are not the best thing for any ecosystem i mean this is very obvious now so you've seen it one way all of a sudden the shape is there it's actually like a negative image right it's actually yeah. a space yeah. And it, you start looking at things differently. I think that slowly changes your perception. If you're like me and you went back year after year and you kept experiencing more and talking to more people and getting more stories and uh, just realizing there's like some bigger story going on here, it opens you up to seeing a broader description of reality. And I think those other beings, I think the idea of the multiverse has a lot of weight behind it uh i mean this is a subject that's been studied for quite a while I mean, you know q everett the third proposed this many worlds ideas it's called now back in 1957 at princeton the idea that there are these branching realities always branching he didn't think they interacted but let's say they do interact a little bit you're beginning to see those other branches and i so to sum it up you know that type of question i think we have this conditioning from all the authority figures in our life our school systems that have taught us to see reality in a certain way when you come across crop circles and other topics could do this to you too it shows you there's a whole different way to look even just at nature things that have been uh you know domesticated to fit into our modern industrial food system. And you start seeing it differently. You realize you could put a pattern there and it could have this effect. And it, 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 the whole field looks different with a crop circle in it. And, and people are having different experiences out there. I think that changes you in a way that you start seeing more of reality and you begin to see the other types of life that have been there the whole time, but you just didn't perceive it before. So that's sort of how I see that type of interaction uh happening yeah yeah fascinating fascinating i i so when we we've done the rice experiment and one point you know instead of saying i hate you i love you in the moto's rice experiment we just went on vacation for two weeks started over just wrote hate love and left and sure enough the hate rotted and so so when we're talking about these structures mattering to your consciousness, to your life, to your vibration, it actually does matter. 
And I used to be like, oh, this guy's got like a sacred geometry on his water bottle. Like, oh, well, that probably doesn't really do. It does do something, right? Because everyone well, has a consciousness. No, no, this is what's really interesting. And this is how it connects into ball lightning. Okay. I can't know wait. right now that there is this background flow of dark matter that's around us all the time. And part of that dark matter is this flow of relic neutrinos from the cosmic background radiation. And this comes from a lot of uh, Russian research for the most part, though CERN in, in Switzerland studies it and NASA has had some discussion of these relic neutrinos. I mean, if they matter, because these are big, slow particles, not like the fast ones from the sun, these little neutrinos, you know, like they're going through you all the time, like billions, those tiny little ones fast. These are slow and big and they interact with cells and molecules and they affect biological and chemical reactions. So here's the thing, Zenka. The reason those circles could be electromagnetically active is they could, the shape could be affecting the flow of those relic neutrinos, a tiny little portion of dark matter, maybe one or 2%. So it literally could be changing the flow of energy um, in, in a way that we're not used to, that we haven't really thought about before. Um, it, it's, it's like the shape would affect Remember, I, we mentioned a few minutes ago the studies at Princeton, the Pear Labs, that was initially funded by McDonnell Douglas. They found that everyone had some micro PK ability. And it's not just a thought form. I actually believe from seeing PK demonstrations on several different times that humans are emitting energy from our hands and perhaps other parts of our body, it's very hard to detect. It's, it's not something that you can easily detect. But when you see spoons bend and metal, uh, like glass turn into liquids and things like this instantly, uh, something that I've seen and people levitating objects, PK. And Paralabs was studying micro PK. They weren't looking at the type of larger PK that people like Yuri Geller are associated with, but your ability to affect a machine. But the, the larger PK and the micro PK suggest that we're all emitting energy. So what type of energy are you emitting? PK masters, and these are sometimes people that have studied Qigong, martial arts. You've seen demonstrations of this, or at least videos of people can, that can ignite paper just by holding their palm over it. And even Nikola Tesla talked about this being around some of his uh, pulse discharge devices. He would feel like these pins and needles in his hands and his arms. To me, it all seems like the same type of energy, just somehow, sometimes it's amplified and some humans have the ability to consciously affect how it's projected. That seems to be the same wavelength as these relic neutrinos, far coming from far away in the cosmos, from the edge of the cosmos, from the uh, Big Bang at the time of the Big Bang. Humans seem to have the ability to emit those too. And when humans emit them, we would call them cold neutrinos because they're, they're relatively cold compared to the solar neutrinos. But the whole point is that shapes, uh, feng shui, you know, the whole, the whole Chinese uh, art science of feng shui about how objects, particularly in your home, can affect the feel of it. We all know that's true because once you go and rearrange things, it can totally change the feeling in your home. I think that that's another angle on the crop circles, which I've only begun to appreciate more recently, is that they could be affecting the flow of neutrinos, a small component of dark matter, 
And that could be another thing that you're feeling and picking up on, because we know that those affect a wide range of chemical and biological processes from these experiments. And being inside or outside, the, the arrangement of things affect the flow of no, those neutrinos. So that's another way that shapes could affect energy. It wouldn't just be that it's resonating at a certain frequency. It could be that there's like an ether flow around all of us all the time. And that certain types of coherent shapes create coherent effects, which your electronics interprets as superconductivity. And it causes an instant short circuit. In fact, there's a Russian researcher named Grabinikov that actually, I found out very recently, studied this. He thought that because things like wheat stalks were hollow, they could act almost like resonators. If they were in a certain shape, they could affect water molecules and project energy uh, into clouds, things like that, that uh, people like Wilhelm Reich, you know, experimented with, you know, the cloud busters and so forth. So there actually could, that, that's the mind blowing thing here. There could be a whole science behind this based on these other types of neutrinos. We've only focused on these solar neutrinos. Every time you read about neutrinos, these fast, tiny things, and they go through the earth, they only collide with us like once out of 10 years. So they're so small, they don't see you. These other background neutrinos are very big and they exert kind of like a pressure on matter. They're called what is called in physics called bosonic, which means they act like a catalyst. Bosonic mean particles that come together versus repel each other. They're like catalysts for reactions to happen. So I'm just saying, I know it's kind of long-winded, but that's another way that these crop circles could, that shapes could matter, even just shapes around us all the time. That's so fascinating. And now that there's more people curious and sharing information across the planet, that's where we can really get in there and build cool devices that activate us in different ways, make us right. remember where we're from, make us remember our abilities, make us focus, allow us to focus our energy, whatever the case may be. This is so fascinating. I uh, want to invite everybody. We're in a hotel room. I paid the extra money for super fast internet, okay. but I'm not able to go on to other platforms. So I want you guys to come back. Uh, so uh, lightnet.org slash unlimited if you want to join in the back, because uh, I know you guys are all excited and you want to ask questions. So that's how to do it. Now, I want to move in on to Bigfoot and that whole phenomenon. And when I read that you said that Bigfoot encrypteds can appear around ball lightning. So I'm wondering if if ETs can be right next to us, right? Because they are um, sharing the same physical space in a different resonance, right? Uh, then what is going on with cryptids? And are they in the physical plane and uh, and also in other planes? And also, how would we how would we raise our frequency without ball lightning in order to experience these other extraordinary realities? I feel like we've done the ocean, we've done outer space. I want to go interdimensional in the physical. I know those are some good questions. And we actually have someone on the Zoom call, someone I know here, Jules, who maybe can answer talk a little later in the QA, because she's actually a big good experiencer. <laughs> she has a lot to say because it it's uh it's definitely seems to be true that they can operate in different 
levels of reality. I, I have no doubt about this anymore, having talked to so many witnesses who people who've told me they've seen them vanish in front of their eyes. And it, the witness accounts are so similar, even between here and in Russia, it's like a sparkly curtain of light that comes down and they're gone. Whether they're still there and they're not, you know, just looking predator-like or invisible. And there's a, by the way, a new very good movie about this, which I'm in, uh, just a fair disclosure called A Flash of Beauty, Paranormal Bigfoot, which actually has footage of one that has that shimmering type effect. You can actually see it, the barb shoot footage. So this is the real thing that blew my mind about this topic. When I started talking to Bigfoot witnesses and they were in my remote viewing classes in Boulder because people who grew up in Colorado have encountered Bigfoot, Sasquatch sometime in their lives. A lot of people have and they've even they've chosen not to talk about it or they've forgotten or they've just repressed the memory. But somehow being a, around a group of people for three days in a remote viewing class encourages people to tell stories during breaks and over lunch and things like this. And I started hearing about these Bigfoot stories a long time ago. And in my thick, you know, academic educated mind, it took a while to sink in, okay? Because I just thought it was this very rare ape-like animal. Like, you know, you might've heard on the Art Bell show a long time ago, where it's just, you know, it was like, it was like a physical animal, right? And it was just rare. And you might see it and and it didn't really click until I started talking to witnesses in Colorado. I went to a place called the Sasquatch Outpost in Bailey, which is like a, a, a exhibit museum for Sasquatch topics. And I went to some of the conferences and I talked to the witnesses and it clicked in a big way. They said our cameras and batteries failed when we were around these creatures. Our car wouldn't start. Uh, Jim Myers, who runs the Sasquatch Outpost, when I spent some time with him, he said they had several cars that wouldn't start after a Bigfoot sighting in the area because he leads these uh, these tours out there. So talking to people like him and other witnesses, I couldn't believe that what had happened around crop circles was happening around Bigfoot. And then studying Bigfoot, you realize Bigfoot's not the only thing out there that we don't understand. There's other creatures that we call cryptids cryptids being cryptozoological. I mean, this is a term in the anthropological community for mysterious animals. And, you know, those of us in our community here use them to describe not just ordinary animals, but animals that don't seem like anything you were taught about in, in your biology classes in high school or grade school. And we have different names for them, but they almost seem like impossible animals, you know, uh, different hybrid combinations and, and huge birds and things like that. But the witness encounters are so consistent. So for me, what really clicked, you know, with the crop circles was people were describing the same thing. I couldn't believe that what we had seen in these patterns, people were seeing around Bigfoot and other cryptids, that their electronics wouldn't work. I was just interviewing a witness this morning, which I'll have out on my YouTube channel in the next couple of days, who told me when the Bigfoot came up to their tent, they had these GoPro cameras mounted at the top to see if they could catch pictures of them. They never could, but as soon as something played with it, the battery died. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this has to be, unless it's a, you could maybe don't agree with, maybe it's a whole different reason the batteries are dying. 
we have to be dealing with the same non-ordinary EM types of phenomena that we see in the crop circles that we get around UFOs. And you even get around some remote viewers can have this effect too. Yuri Geller purportedly had this effect. You can read about that in the book, Remote Viewers by Jim Schnabel. Even way back at Lawrence Livermore Labs and SRI, he was affecting uh, electronics and people were seeing cryptids and little UFOs around the areas where he had been. Kind of like what we're saying with crop circles before Zenka. Like it's sort of creating a distortion in the space-time field and things that are have been there the whole time that you and I haven't seen, all of a sudden you start seeing them a little bit more. So to see that Bigfoot did that led me to this idea that in fact, Bigfoot had an electromagnetic component to it and these other cryptids. I, I never would have believed this if I hadn't talked to so many witnesses, but I've been to five Bigfoot conferences since last May, just as part of the Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot movie. And, um, you know, it was screened there and they wanted someone that could answer questions. So I went to a whole bunch of these in the Northwest and I met more witnesses and I, these people don't talk to each other very much. They don't, as you'll notice, they don't share their stories very often. They're concerned about, you know, ridicule and ostracism, same thing, UFO, UAP witnesses, even witnesses from the military, like we're finding out in Congress right now. It's a serious part of getting some of this data is getting the witnesses not to be afraid to share their stories. It's the same thing with Bigfoot and cryptids. Sometimes the people are uh, scared by their encounters. They're not sure exactly what happened. These creatures can be really big and they can be really loud when they, when they howl, growl. It can literally, what most people say is it actually literally, your organs feel like they're vibrating inside. Like It's like being in front of a speaker at a rock concert a loud rock, you, you know, that feeling about, so these can just do this naturally from their own, you know, biological structure. So talking to all these witnesses, I've heard so many accounts of camera battery failure. The only thing that you really can conclude from this, that you could conclude other things, but my conclusion is we're, you know, we live in a reality that has other versions of it, parallel realities. And sometimes those parallel realities aren't so parallel anymore and they intersect with our own. And perhaps it, you'd almost have to assume this is going on. There are life forms that have learned how to navigate those parallel realities. Why not? You know, we've evolved, humans have evolved somewhat over the last couple thousand years, we can do things now we can communicate like this. We couldn't even do this 10 years ago, right? Over many thousands and millions of years, wouldn't life forms learn how to navigate and use energy and shapes to, to move around reality? I mean, it wouldn't be a huge surprise, would it, to figure out that, to learn that reality is bigger than we thought it was, right? This is the history of science. It always turns out to be bigger than you thought. Just look at how many exoplanets get discovered now, like almost weekly. They discover a new planet out there from the telescopes that have gotten more powerful. You know, James Webb now has replaced Hubble. And there's the new exoplanets. I mean, so every week our universe is getting, it wouldn't it, doesn't just make sense that it would get so big that you would realize even in the space we're in right here, there can be other things going on. So that's my take on this is, they there's a similar effect from the coherent shape of crop circles 
that these creatures can recreate those coherent matter wave effects and create these quantum effects, which are, you know, defense contractors have created patents for in coherent matter wave beams like Lockheed Martin. Uh, it isn't surprising there's already life out there. In fact, there was an ad by, I think it was Northrop Grumman recently that said, talked about the shadow biome. What the heck were they talking about? It was an ad and they were saying there's could be a shadow. Well, yeah, and it might be so shadowy that it's like part of dark matter. I mean, if we can just conceive of this, having this conversation right now, it has to exist somewhere. You know, because it's very rare that we've conceived of things that don't turn out to have some basis of reality eventually. And when you hear the witnesses say that they see these cryptids disappear or like Jules, I've heard so many people like Jules say, I had the Bigfoot sighting and then I had a UFO sighting after that. And then other sorts of things or people who said they grew up in a haunted house encountered Sasquatch later on that there is a connection and what we call paranormal is actually part of a broader range of phenomena that have to do with another structure, a non-Maxwellian electromagnetic configuration, most likely based on fractal geometry where life has different rules than what we're used to in our physical reality. It's just different. We just have to learn to accept that. That's what the witnesses are telling us. Okay. The only option you can say, I don't believe the witnesses. I think they're all making it up. And hundreds of years of Native American stories, all the different tribes had names for Sasquatch. You talk to them, they will tell you the stories about Sasquatch from Alaska to Florida. Are they all making this up? I don't think so. I think they're telling us what they said. Even the settlers out West talked about encountering wild men as they called them or mountain devils they didn't have you know the sasquatch term as native american bigfoot wasn't even invented until about the 50s uh from a, a construction crew out in california they just didn't know what to call these prints they called it bigfoot but i mean this has been around and so it's not surprising to me as someone with the sociological background that there are things that exist that we don't talk about and they're called hidden events and this whole range of paranormal phenomena, I mean, people who've experienced this have had to endure the highest levels of ridicule and uh, nasty comments and ostracism, you know, and, you know, literally being accused of being, I mean, being crazy. I mean, even if you look at these sort of psychological definitions until recently, those were considered like part of this schizotypal spectrum of disorders. How about if all those phenomena, they're real and they have a different basis uh, in how they exist, but we just have so many hundreds of years of reports and you just have to eventually say, just like so many other things that turned out to be real, that they're real. We may not have a good vocabulary for talking about this. It may not fit into our modern Western scientific method, but I think it's high time we stopped just attacking this, these subjects and debunking it. We know that the government has even had these organized programs for disinformation, for debunking these topics, UFOs, and I'm sure Sasquatch too. So we should turn the tables on this and turn it into a huge new scientific discussion. Yeah. Stop being afraid of it. And let's talk about 
what the science is behind this. At a very minimum, it turns on the next generation of kids who are probably bored out of their skulls with these ordinary things that they learn. Probably would be excited to know that some of the things like what we saw on Star Trek when we were kids turned out to be real technologies in our lives. Now, at least the phones we carry around. Soon these will be tricorders, won't they? <clears throat> For them, this could really, you know, you know, stimulate their imaginations and make, you know, it, it's a, has a positive effect. So we should turn it into something that is a subject and it's happening. I mean, I think you can see it's happening. So. Yeah, it's happening in part by your research and bringing more scientific legitimacy and pulling people together to compare notes and making these films and all this stuff. And maybe it's even that we're about to be able, we've evolved enough We've become coherent enough to experience those realities with them, along with the ETs, the Bigfoot, all of that stuff. We're, we're getting closer, and that's why we're we're short circuiting together. Now, I I want to bring in Jules. I also want to talk about remote viewing, and I and I want to pick up after Jules shares. I want to pick up about what you said about Yuri Geller, and about how we can create this coherence. Now, we're also going to have uh, Adam Curry from the Pair Labs and also uh, Dan Winters on the show this year. So right. we'll get to talk more about this stuff. And and yeah, and LightNet as a platform is going to be a place where we can compare resources, save books, see what's there. So this is really exciting. Now, Jules, you had a firsthand experience with uh, Sasquatch. So tell us a little bit about what happened. That's really great to have you on the call. Well, thank you for inviting me. And um, it started when I was a child. I was probably about eight and I was in Indiana. And my actual Sasquatch experience was really quite normal. I mean, he he was at the end of my road picking berries. I was in the street playing Foursquare with some friends of mine, and it got silent, and I saw him, and it was a white Sasquatch with the cone head and everything, and um, no hair on the hands. I could see him picking the berries. I never saw him eat berries. I just saw him picking berries, and then it was like he felt me looking at him. And he turned and he looked at me and the face was very human, quite resembling an, an Aboriginal Australian person. And the hair was like around the face. It didn't cover the whole entire face and the, the high forehead and it sloped back. And then the hair fell across his shoulders like a cape almost. And then the rest of the hair on his body was much shorter. And you could see it gleaming in the sun. And it was in the middle of summer. And um, then he just took like it. Well, he was in grass up to about his waist. So I didn't see the lower part of his body. And it was like he took a couple of steps and just melted into the wood line because he was, you know, at at, a, at the edge of a woods at the end of my street. And, and not very, I mean, maybe half an acre away from me. It was really quite close. And after that, the, it was like the spell broke and almost like 
an emotion of hysteria was pushed upon me, but it could have been like ontological shock. I don't know, but I started screaming and my, my older brother who was like 12 picked me up and carried me into my mom. And she was like, trying to calm me down and and was saying oh it was probably the neighbor in a parka you know and i'm like in the middle of summer <laughs> you know i could <laughs> there's no way it was him in the middle of summer in a parka and plus you know it obviously was not a man you know he was so muscular and majestic looking and it, it was it was really amazing in retrospect. I mean, it freaked me out as a little child, but I calmed down. And after that, like Sim was saying, many other things happened. I mean, within weeks, we saw, my mom and my brother and I saw a large bubble UFO that was like swirling with colors like soap bubbles do in the sunlight and a light, a bright white light suspended in the middle of it which had an aperture that opened in it that was rectangular. And I saw humanoids, human people. They looked human. I called them Barbie people when I was little because they were so beautiful. And there were two blonde men with long hair. And, and, and in my child's mind, I'm thinking Ken dolls, you know, and there was a beautiful blonde woman with straight blonde hair. And they were wearing the classical, like blue, silver, you know, tight fitting suits. And this was in the seventies, really disco hadn't taken off yet, but it looked like disco type material. And, you know, after I found out that, you know, that kind of satiny material and, um, and there was also a, a darker woman on, you know, standing there. It was like they were standing at, at a, a desk or a, a control board or something. And they were looking at me through the window and they waved at me. And I waved at them. And then my mom was like, okay, let's go back in the store. Cause we were in the, a store parking lot with other people in the parking lot that obviously saw it too. And so we went into the store and I never got to see the craft leave or anything. And I didn't want to leave. I was just filled with this welcoming, you know, loving, you know, feeling like, oh, I didn't want to go away. You know, I wanted them to stay forever or something like that. And that was the first, you know, UFO and 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 otherworldly beings that I saw, of, you know, in a craft. And then after that, I mean, I've I've had many psychic episodes and and poltergeist activity in my house and. And I always felt very connected to spirit and, and that someone was watching over me, you know, and, and so I, I mean, I even had a crow that would come visit me one summer that, that I had no idea where this crow came from. Well, it was a raven, actually, it was bigger than a crow. And he'd land on me and say, hi, I'm Mike. We never found out where Mike came from. And he followed me to school and landed on me in the playground and all sorts of stuff and just kind of hung around me for about a year and then disappeared again. And I, you know, all sorts of very unusual things that have happened to me in my life. And I've seen other craft, 
I saw a craft with with my first husband that afterward, this is really kind of unusual and sort of goes toward the electromagnetic things. I'm not even sure I've told Sim about this, but um, it was the craft that looks like two headlights coming at you. And it was coming across the field. I was on a highway here in Alabama this time because I was in Indiana when I saw the, the Sasquatch. And later on in life, I moved to Alabama. And after it came towards us and filled the car with light and blinded me, we were still driving down the road. And I, and I, you know, it was just like, I didn't know how I was still driving down the road because I mean, it blinded me. And I was with my first husband who, who was head injured. And um, I was talking to him about how sometimes people who go under streetlights say they go out. And I said, oh yeah, they just point at them and they go out and the street light went out. And he's like, do it again, do it again. And so I said, okay, it just goes out. And the street light went out again. And afterward, I tried it one more time and it didn't work. It was like it wore off or something, <laughs> but maybe we were just too excited and weirded out about it. But you know, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of stuff yeah. <laughs> in my <Yeah>. life. Yeah. <laughs> and and also in Alabama. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Well, I was just going to say it's, this is, this is the thing when you open your mind and your reality and your heart to it, it one experience will lead to the other experience lead to the other experience. And, and what a powerful human you are right now, just as Simeon was just saying, we've got to talk more about this because it's, it's some of the most interesting research that we don't know anything about yet. So the, the whole point is we've got to talk about it because we want to understand it. We want to learn more about it. We want to, so you talking about your experiences is, is very powerful. Uh, and it's so great that you've had these different experiences, you know, from the cryptids to the, to the UFOs, I mean, and, and to the consciousness that happens to me all the time. We turn off the lights and, and, and I believe by the way, that the crows and the ravens are, are visitors from the other dimension in our reality, especially those particular birds, deers as well. So it's like, it's like, it's like a way for other people who are not incarnated to, be with you to to see you to 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 say hello without having to go through the whole, the whole process who knows right so i want to um i'll let you conclude with anything else you wanted to say and i want to um ask uh, simeon about remote viewing so so yeah so jules is and i also if anybody's you know you guys that are watching on portal to ascension new realities late night go ahead and hit a like, go ahead and hit subscribe. It's important that you get engaged. And I also wanted to say that Simeon is going to be doing a hands-on remote viewing masterclass on the 22nd of this month, lightnet.org slash join to participate in that. So thank you, Jules. Do you have any final, final things that you want to tell other experiences out, experiencers out there or any people that, that might've had similar experiences to you? Well, I, I did want to mention what I'm in Sim's book, Dark Matter Monsters, about, and that is um, a time when I was in such distress because I had a really bad leak in a house that I was renting, and 
I, I, there was no one to help me. And I wasn't like crying out loud or anything. I was just crying within myself, you know, oh gosh, I need help, you know, that kind of thing. And the exact wrench that I needed was in my driveway. I got the feeling to go outside and just, you know, clear the, clear my head, you know, something told me go outside. And there in my driveway was a plumber's wrench. I mean, a gigantic plumber's wrench that I needed to tighten up that leak. So I didn't have to call my landlord, which I was dreading doing. And, you know, it was a beautiful thing. And I was, you know, all you can do is say miracles and, oh, I am so thankful, you know, and, but it's like, and I, and I would get giftings at that site, which, you know, is typical for Sasquatch things. You know, you get little moss and sticks and flowers in places where there's no way they should be, you know, I mean, I'd have them on the railing of my porch, just beautiful little moss sticks with flowers coming up off of them and things like that. And I'm also a remote viewer. I've had Sims classes and <laughs> he's a great teacher. So I highly recommend you taking his classes. And, and I also believe that, that it's all related and that we should talk about it because that's the only way that, that anything is going to get better when it comes to, to the stigma and getting the government to actually let loose of some of their more secret things and with that i'll, I'll let y'all have it <laughs> so much, Jules. thank you so much you know we at lena we've experienced we've experimented with apports with moving objects between dimensions and the way that we learned to do it was with a shaman that worked with sasquatch and so I'm thinking that maybe because they're incarnated more than ETs are currently on our planet is that they understand a little bit better how to pass us objects uh, and, and, and back and forth. And we're running some experiments right now, but I like, and that was how the shaman taught us how to do it, by the way, it was gifting. So we would gift them Reese's PCs and other things. Uh, and then they would send us pennies and we also got glyphs as well, which when we did a huge C5. So, so you guys, this is, it's no longer in the military lab. It's no longer in, I mean, parallel labs is shut down. We have to go out and do this. And my theory is that your coherent energy can become even more coherent if you call in your partners in the other dimension, because they're kind of like Adam's theory is like, we're like pioneers reaching to the edge of like reality. And they have pioneers that are reaching to the end of their reality, looking to talk to us. And when we come together, not, you know, we can have these magical experiences. Anyway, I really think the help. I really think they're eager to help. And when you get the emotion and the intention and then, you know, need or whatever, that they feel you and 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 that they really are, are eager to help. That that's my my experience anyway. Yeah, yeah, me too. And just eager to connect with us. So Simeon, let's talk about remote viewing because you have created an entirely new twist that you call re resonant viewing. And I, and it sounds like your class is amazing. Now you guys, I have shared his link in the chat here for those of you, since we can't do the link sharing in the other um, channels tonight, 
mountbaldy.com. So mountbaldy.com. Also, we shared um, Simeon's YouTube, which is youtube.com slash fractal friend. And we've also shared the Amazon list for his book. So tell us a little bit about how you came to this idea of resonant viewing. I'm also putting my blog up there in the links. Um, hey, say it out loud too, because so many new people. Christ, yeah, newcrystalmind.com. The Mount Baldy is like my website original from the 90s. It's still there and I still work on it, but we now have blogs and more streamlined web presentations. Okay, but, great. Newcrystalmind.com, in case you yeah. were not. Uh, either, either place. <clears throat> uh, I just want to say in the, the movie, The Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot, there are a lot of examples of gifting that Jules talked about of having something you need show up just at the right time, something really small, something that seemed really old, almost where, where would this come from? Right on your porch, right on a, sitting on a rock, right outside your house, on top of your car. I have to say, this is something that I would have found very hard to believe having gone through the academic system that such a thing would exist. But having known Jules for a while and hearing other stories of this, it does seem that the the Bigfoot, some of them like to have relationships with humans, but it's not a direct relationship. It's sort of like, a, it's a gifting relationship. It's probably how they relate to their neighbors too in their Bigfoot world. As you leave a gift, they leave a gift. It's a very early type of way hominids would communicate, I would imagine, and say, hey, I like you. I'd like to get to know you better. It's a supportive relationship that's sort of indirect. You hear a lot of cases of this. So I'm just saying what Jules said to some people, they might've thought, really? But there are many cases of what Jules shared with us that I've learned about now. So it's part of the whole thing. And my dad that I lived a quarter of a mile up a hill on 86 acres of forest Very that remote. no one yeah. up there yeah. unless they were looking for me or they were lost. So how that wrench ended up in my driveway was a miracle. I mean, it wasn't like there was lots of traffic and might've fallen off of something, you know, it, it, it was for me, you know, and at the right yeah. time and the exact thing no, I needed. That is what people say they're seeing. The, the, you know, the witnesses I've talked to, even the, the gentleman this morning, Steve, which I'll put up very shortly on the YouTube channel, talked about them having this hyper awareness. They're very sensitive to us, extremely sensitive, almost precognitively sensitive to humans that they choose to pay attention to. And they seem to be one step ahead of you. Everybody says this. Nobody knows how they're doing it. It's, it's just like they can time slip at will. When we have a time slip experience, even a micro time slip, a ports or something like this, it, it's just maybe not that common or something once in a while by accident, you end up at a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, going in down the street and it's not there and you ate in it. I talked to people this happened, it's gone, it's closed. <clears throat> but you, you and your friends remember eating there and some things like that. Maybe they can do that sort of i'm just it's just hypothetical maybe they know how to how to you know navigate the timeline space time continuum in a way we don't but to go to rv so this is sort of my introduction to all these phenomena zenka is i come out of graduate school i've been teaching statistics i was an assistant professor i didn't know about any of these topics believe me from kindergarten to phd 
Nobody ever talked about any of the things we're talking about here unless they were putting it down and saying, I doubt such a thing exists. The US government's investigated this and it does, it's not real. It's just a bunch of weird rural people out there seeing stuff, you know, and what a surprise to find out that there was a whole government special access program in remote viewing where they teach you to do something like this. There's a target, it's hidden in a folder and your job is to describe it. I never would have thought that I could have done such a thing. And I took a class at a place called Farsight Institute, uh, which was giving classes back then. And you can see, here's the picture, you know, the hidden picture, it's a race car and the person gets the car or the, you know, it's a rocket ship and you know, they draw the rocket ship. I mean, you see this, I tell you as a former statistics teacher, you see this more than you would expect if it was just a random uh, guessing, even, double blind targets where nobody knows what it is the viewer can describe, draw, reproduce the picture. So I actually haven't really recreated a whole new system. I mean, I did create something that I called the Uniview, which is what we'll do on the 22nd, which is sort of a, a condensed system to learn how to do this in just a few minutes. Um, the Longer system was called CRV, which was invented by Ingo Swan, the artist from New York City, working at SRI with Russ Targ and Hal Plato. And he said, I know what's going on in my mind. He was a natural psychic. He was also a natural PK practitioner because he could affect thermistors at a distance, you know, these little resistors in a thermos bottle. He could affect their temperature. And he affected the quark detector at Stanford when they had him put his mind on it, you know, how said the thing stopped being the sine wave is every time they told Ingo to imagine, look at it, it would change its shape. He showed us the graph. So again, not a surprise that people that are good remote viewers also can do PK, which suggests to us, again, a link between these different phenomena. My idea behind it was that it isn't remote viewing. And Ingo said that he called it that. He invented the term, Ingo Swan, invented the term remote viewing because they're attempting to get a government contract, it has to sound kind of sexy and cool. And remote viewing sounds like satellite, uh, you know, detection, some sort of surveillance, right? Uh, I've even had people when I had, you know, in my office in Boulder who thought I was in satellites or something, they really weren't too excited to learn what's, what it really was. Uh, too bad for them. They should have taken, in fact, some of them did take the class of, and uh, I call it resonant viewing because I think it's a type of resonance, like frequency matching, like tuning forks. You have two tuning forks of the same frequency and you hit one tuning fork, the other will ring. And that, that uh, vibration is actually coming. Resonance is a function of the entire universe. It's not something that you have to try to do. The reason we have radios and this sort of electromagnetic communication between radios that we all grew up with is that resonance is coming from the entire background electromagnetic field, the quantum vacuum state in essence. Otherwise, the more people that tuned into the same station, the volume would go down, right? But it doesn't. An infinite number of people can tune into them, which shows us it's not coming from that antenna that's broadcasting. It's resonating off the entire universe, right? And as many people as want could pick up the signal. If it was all just from that antenna, the, there's only so much, you know, 
energy coming from that antenna, right? Because I used to work with little kits as a kid. I'd build little kits. I knew how this stuff worked, which is, by the way, how I knew things were going weird in the crop circles. I said, none of my electronic kits from Radio Shack ever did that. When I built them, they did not just stop working for no reason at all and burn out and stuff like that. In any case, I think viewing is a type of resonance frequency matching because it doesn't seem to be affected by distance like an electromagnetic signal. I mean, it's been tested. They put uh, Ingo Swan and I think Hala Hamid, his artist friend from uh, California in a sub once off the coast of California to test. And Hal said they got the best results ever when they were in the submarine. <laughs> so it's not an electromagnetic, you know, electromagnetic signals fade with distance, especially underwater. So it doesn't really seem like it's remote viewing you're not like getting information from the distance the signal's already here right you're tuning into it and that is why rv seems like almost like a gateway process like a gateway drug to other phenomena because you're learning how to recalibrate your perceptual system so it's not just coming from your physical senses right you're tuning into more subtle signals they may be subtle but they're there and they're definitely there in your future because you're going to see the feedback picture 10 or 15 minutes from now, however long the session takes. So it's already in your timeline and you're picking up those signals, perhaps from your future feedback. Um, it's as if everything that exists in our reality is already there as a frequency. For the most part, we're all practical people that have lots of things to do every day. We're focused on what's right in front of us. And we have to be, but it doesn't mean there isn't part of our mind and we all experience this every night when we dream. There isn't a part of your mind that can go other places and do other things. And during an RV session, it's, it's like structured daydreaming where you're just taking a break from ordinary conscious reality and letting another, you're putting your intention on picking up another signal. And for me, Zenka, the big surprise is that it worked. I think when I initially started in this class back in 1996, I, I didn't think I would be able to produce any results. I didn't think of myself as especially psychic or anything. Um, but it, it did work. And it worked for everyone in the class. And I think anyone who's been involved with this, uh, even, you know, they used to say the skeptics who came from Washington, D.C. to look at the work of Ingo Swan and Pat Price and the other viewers that they were working with Joe McMonagle and others. The most skeptical ones would become the best viewers if they gave it a shot. So it's something that your conscious mind might not believe in. And that's what's really cool about it. It shows you that there's more going on than you know about, even in within yourself. And you can prove it to yourself just doing a session and you're there's the target picture back there. There's no way you could know what it is. It's hidden in a folder. And somehow, occasion, some of the sessions, you're going to reproduce it really well. There's going to be no doubt that you drew that target. And when you have that experience a couple of times, it's why I keep teaching it. It's just so much fun to see people get results like this. Um, it shows you that there's another bandwidth of information that we're connected to that it may be subtle, but it's there. And so then you start to wonder, well, if that's been there my whole life, and we all have intuitive impressions from time to time, gut feelings about people and situations that turn out to be accurate, where there's no logical way we could have known that. 
you know, even the phone ringing and having no, you know, without caller ID knowing who it is, that sort of thing. Um, it, it sort of opens you up to the possibility there's other things they didn't teach you since kindergarten. You begin to wonder, well, wait a minute, this was a government program. It was a special access program. They didn't even talk about it till 95. The people that worked in it didn't even tell their bosses they were involved. It was that secret. Uh, talking at MUFON, Colorado, I ran into a gentleman who said he, he created the counterintelligence for the RV program at Fort Meade. It, it you know down at, I think it was at Fort Carson out of, Col out of Colorado Springs. I mean that it, I mean the guy that created the subterfuge to hide the program, you know, to make the buildings look like they were other things. That, that's how seriously it was taken. Once you realize, look, the government put resources into this. There were people that were good at it, and the average person can do it. Then you realize, well, there must be a lot more going on that they didn't tell you about. That is also real. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So, so I mean, can you tell people how is is your getting access to attend and and sign up for your classes? The newcrystalmind.com is that where they would do it? People would. Oh do no, it? there's a link at the top of New Crystal Mind. First of all, people can get signed copies of my books. I'm happy to send you awesome. signed copies. I've written a whole so bunch of different experiences. Who would I? I never thought I'd write books. It's just there's this stuff is so fascinating. You can find links there, but there's also virtualviewing.org. And there's a link at the top of New Crystal Mind or on mountbaldi.com on the site for resonant viewing instruction. And if you go to that link, I have different options. I just started something through Patreon. I thought people need an inexpensive way to do this as a group every month. So if you want to learn it, uh, a very affordable way, just once or twice a month in a group setting, just kind of a basic viewing instruction. I have something there. I have recorded classes where, you know, I give you the instruction through 20 videos or 50 videos of how to do it. And we can also interact during that time. And people have really enjoyed that and told me they've gotten a lot out of it. Some people like doing it on their own in a self-paced way. And then I have a, a personal coaching option for people that want to you know, just do it one. See, everyone's different. Some people like just one-on-one. -on -one. They don't want a whole group of people. They feel a little self-conscious. That's fine. And they just want to do it when we can do it that way. Some people like a live group and some people like self-paced. I just want to do it when I have time. You know, we're all different. So I have different options up there for people to learn it in different ways. And Jules is someone that took one of my live classes once and uh, it that's, that's how we uh, met. And I think the thing is, there's something really surprising about RV. You, it just opens up a whole world of phenomena, just realizing maybe all this stuff is real. I mean, they told me it wasn't real and that psychics are like special people. Maybe they're just different and they can have this psychic ability. But no one ever told you that you have it to some degree or, or more, right? So it's really like a paradigm buster to get involved in RV. It opens you up to different types of people. And it certainly opened me up to the UFO topic because even back at Farsight, there were people who had worked with NASA and had worked in the space program who told me how real the UFO subject was to NASA. Even back in the 90s, I had no idea. We're hearing about this more and more on uh, even on the news now. It's, it's Congress is looking into this. But I had no idea that there were that many witnesses who haven't come forward in an RV class setting. They were, wanted to share their stories. But there are a lot of people out there like that. Um, 
And it was fascinating to run into them and just a lot of them and they've had experiences. You realize there's just a, a bigger reality. We've called it paranormal or, you know, given it der derisive names like pseudoscience or something, but it's anything but. And the reason you know it's anything but pseudoscience or junk science is the government, our government that we pay for, it's our government, has a lot of programs in these subjects. And you were mentioning why we haven't heard about this. We haven't heard about this because these have been in black budget programs. And those black budget programs spend 90% of their budget on disinformation to hide the program. And it would come as a shock to people that these same programs that are studying this for real, UFO, UAP, crash materials, parapsychological phenomena, are also putting money into disinformation to make us think that it's just something to laugh at. And yet that's the nature of a special access program. We can't totally blame them for doing this. I mean, that's what secret agencies do. At the same time, they're confusing the heck out of us because at one point they just have, they're paying people to go on to social media and to basically lie about these subjects and to, to ridicule it in the nastiest way. And at the same time, they're, they're, we want patents in it. They have special programs to study this. Yuri Geller, you mentioned Yuri Geller. They had him here for six weeks. He was before Ingo Swan at SRI and Lawrence of More Labs. And that's where they saw A-Ports. You mentioned A-Ports. Jules mentioned the wrench showing up. I don't know if that was an A-Port or for a Sasquatch just dropped it off. I don't know how that plumber's wrench got there. Nobody knows how these, these gifting objects show up because no one ever sees anyone leave them. Even if you put a camera there, it, it can be like one frame, it's there and one frame, it's, it just shows up like that. But we know from, again, that we're, Remote viewers, Jim Schnabel, one of the first books on RV, he talked about these A-ports showing up and Russell Targ talked about this. Things that he had been missing, I believe it was Russell, he said that uh, lapel pins, just one of them flew out of the air on the beach and another one showed up in an ice cream cone. He had, Yuri had said, is there something you're missing that you'd like me to find? And the lapel pins show up. I mean... There is so much evidence that people like Yuri could do what they could do, uh, move objects in other rooms while he was, you know, secured in this Faraday cage room and things like this. But they also had small UFOs show up, enormous birds at the foot of researchers' beds when they woke up in the morning, I mean, things that don't fit in our reality. I think it goes back to the idea what we're talking about at the beginning is that these phenomena are around us all the time, but there's some sort of capture effect from our, our conscious minds, our social agreements about what's real. But these other things are there. And when you start changing the structure of space-time by doing some of these, engaging in some of these practices, it sort of pushes it around a little bit and there's like a little echo effect and these things kind of come through. Um, I think the evidence shows that's what's going on. I think it's exciting. It just means that we're, we really actually don't know what's going on. Shock <laughs> of the lifetime. We don't yeah. really understand what's going on. We're really, we know very little. I know science presents itself very confidently and so forth, but I've read Science Magazine since around 1990. I've had a continuous subscription to Science Magazine. I've literally read just about every issue. And there's always a lot of debate about any subject. 
this, these subjects are no different, but I think it's healthier to admit that there's lots of evidence and we're beginning to understand what it is, because if we do figure some of this out, we may have a healthier way to live on the planet. We could have healthier energy delivery systems, less pollution, right? Less scarcity. Yeah. A lot, what, what would be wrong with that? Yeah. So yeah. Th this actually presents a solution to lots of issues. And I just, I can only guess that there's too many interests that are making a profit from the problems to actually want there to be any sort of change. But I mean, these sorts of phenomena show us there's other ways to relate to the universe, to nature, which could create energy and resources in healthier ways. That's really what it matters at the end of the day. Yeah, that's so beautiful and so well put. Uh, this is this is unstoppable at this point. I mean, because all this information, it's on TikTok, it's on Snapchat, it's on YouTube, it's on Rumble, it's on, it's everywhere. So the curiosity is already there. It's, it's unstoppable and we can share our research with each other. And, and, you know, you expressed kind of a shock and disbelief that you didn't have to be special to do RV and that you delighted in the fact that you could teach pretty much anyone how to do it. And that was the crazy experience we had. So we would do 15 teams of eight, all making ET contacts. And we're like, how is it possible? We you know, get 98%, 95. And we're like, this wasn't special people necessarily. They just had a curiosity intention to make ET contact through remote viewing, light language, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone was able to do it. So this is part of our own body's technology. It's part of our consciousness. We are, we are pieces of each other, right? We, we all have the same you know, thing. And, and so now it's going to be interesting to figure out how, and, and I guess we have just one question to close because we're going to be closing in five minutes, but we have, but my question to you, and then Jules has a question, is that my question to you is how do, if it is a question of frequency and not electromagnetics, is intention and just your body's own memory after believing like, oh, I didn't think I could get a target, but oh my gosh, I did. And then the next time it's easier. So is it belief and intention? Does it have to do with our subtle energy systems? What does it take to match the frequency of the thing you're trying to view? And then we have a question from Jules to close about plasma. Uh, da Vinci had a name for this, Leonardo da Vinci. He called it confusion endurance. Uh, I think the Italian name, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Sufamato. Sufamato. It, it's uh, it means literally going into the mist. It's learning to uh, tolerate uncertainty. Our conscious minds have this almost a need to feel confident in our worldview, and we we see people well fight these things out just to be right. It's learning how you don't have to be right all the time. You, you could just be okay not knowing. You could say, well, there are these possibilities. I don't know which it is. We're all that way with the UFO ET issue. We actually don't know. We know it's real. We don't know exactly what it is. It could be all of the above. And there's a tendency for our minds to want it to be one thing. I, I think it's almost a drawback of the human mind. There's nothing wrong with confidence. We need it to run our lives, but it can also collectively build up into this sort of unhealthy type of rigidity where we don't examine. So 
what it takes to do these things is having a period of uncertainty where you that's part of the RV training, where you have this blank page. And anyone who's a creative person who writes music or does any sort of writing, you start with that blank page. It's something scary about it, right? You can hear people get writer's block just staring at that blank page. So RVers learn how to deal with that. There's a system to write things down, to write your perceptions down so there's no block. And once the perception starts flowing, it automatically clicks in to the target if that's what you want to do. It's surprising, but that intention, like you're saying, to view the target is powerful enough to direct a whole bunch of machinery in your mind to view that object, which I mean, in a sense is non-local, it's distant, but like a radio wave, the information is already here somewhere. So it's, uh, it's like opening up the bandwidth of your mind and you start with not knowing what's going on and being okay with it. And that could be a clue to all these other phenomena too, because once you can tolerate that confusion, you can learn about these other subjects and admit you don't know what's going on. You can't explain Jules pipe wrench, but, um, but that uh, it still happened. That, that's the first step I think in all of this to admit it's real without knowing what is going on. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is the big first step. That's how Alan Steinfeld used to do it. He'd be like, well, how did you get that answer? And I would be like, I don't know. And he's like, exactly. That's the good answer. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to know how this works. It just does. And I think that's, yeah, that's what's so powerful about really throwing people into the deep end and just saying, just try this and, and seeing how it works. So in closing, we have Jules and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everyone, you know, you, you, Simeon are real, really a, a very powerful gift to our community because your scientific mind uh, along with all of your research and subtle energy in talking to experiencers, the books that you've written, the path that you've been on is just incredible. And uh, so I just want to thank you for that. It says you have a very unusual way about you and it's very powerful. Thank you. <laughs> you can find his work at youtube.com slash fractal friend also new crystal mind and of course virtualviewing.com he's also dot org okay great and he's going to be joining us on the 22nd to give right, you right. of his of his understanding of how to do this now if you are watching on new realities or portal to ascension you can go to lightnet.org slash join or starseed academy slash join and sign up and you'll be part of that and 72 other events this year. So in closing, we have a question from uh, Jules. And Jules, thanks for sharing all your, your experiences. She talks about the articles that are coming out about the Foo Fighters. And they said they were plasma-like beings, right. but that they, weren't, um, that they weren't really alive. So plasma right. is recently very fascinating to me i yes, have yes. in my house and i was like really amazed by it yeah no we didn't talk about this yet we forgot thanks to yeah so this is sort of the key to the whole th this is one of the keys to what we're talking about here is there's a state of matter called coherent matter it's quantum coherent matter that's 
beyond the sort of coherency we normally see. This is a very high state of coherency where you get a lot of these non-local effects and you get matter coming together that has a lot of energy to it that you normally don't see. I mean, this is what we see with ball lightning. And what the story is with ball lightning is that's another area where there's been a lot of superstition and a, a little misunderstanding. It's not just around thunderstorms and regular lightning. You do get it in those circumstances because you have a lot of energy colliding with the earth and so forth. And this charge separation, but it's a whole range of phenomena all the way from the Foo Fighters, the objects that were seen around pilots in World War II, all the way to UFOs and cryptids. Uh, the witness I was just talking to this morning, Steve, which I'll again post soon, was talking about seeing these orbs. He had seen a purple orb. I had never heard of purple orbs before around Bigfoot in the same area. And, and you, this is another aspect of the phenomenon that was extremely surprising to me is people see them around orbs even turn into orbs. And that's in the paranormal uh, Bigfoot film that I was in, which I mentioned. There's a, witnesses to, who've seen that, compelling witnesses. I've talked to people who've seen this too. So this is one of the keys, this sort of quantum coherency. Perhaps we'll talk about it another time. We see it across a range of phenomena. It has a visible state. And as we found out at Skinwalker Ranch, it has an invisible state or a dark mode. And it has a lot of variation, but it does seem to be common to a lot of these phenomena that we call paranormal or parapsychological. Uh, the orb experience, I even know of a viewer who saw an orb come into the room while he was doing a session. So this seems to have something to do with it and it shows us we're dealing with quantum coherent processes. I will just use the word Aronov-Bohm effect. That's what it's known as in physics, this coherency. It's a spooky quantum effect where even things with zero electromagnetic energy can influence matter, even without any physical signal. It's, it's, it's another world, but that's what quantum mechanics tells us exists, is a world where energy can entangle, that particles can entangle at distances and so forth. In other words, there are connections between things that are not just through energy, they're through frequency. And to create almost this type of control, you can even subtract energy from a system and you'll create more coherency. It's sort of the opposite of the way we've been taught to think about reality. So that's where the ball lightning and the orbs come in. You see them around these, you see them around haunted sites too. And it just, to me, and there are other interpretations, Enko, but it's just an indication to me that we're dealing with a similar type of quantum phenomena, coherency, uh, physics, thinks of it in terms of the so-called Bose-Einstein condensate. That's just at very cold temperatures, but it can be created at room temperature too. And it's also, we'll save this for another conversation, it seems to be the basis for cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction. That seems to be a form of micro ball lightning in a lab setting within a, a reactor. So th these phenomena are all connected. And this story, as you just said, it's still unfolding, but we have a lot of evidence. We have a lot of evidence for it now, a lot of evidence. So yeah. thanks for the question, Jules. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been such a fascinating conversation. And 
one of the things that we know to everybody and to remind ourselves, our body is the most sophisticated quantum computer on the planet, right? And we have, I mean, I, I've had lightning strike right next to me. I mean, we, we have, we can connect, like you said, across time and space when we tangle coherently. And so, and if intention is important to that, and if we all have access to this higher energy and coherence, because that's synchronicity, that's us getting to live these different realities in, in my mind, when, when you are coherent with everybody in your life and the people and the things in your life, things become magical. They become somehow like too good to be true. It's like, how is this, how is this happening? So let's think about that together as a community and, and our communities together is how do we, how do we call upon this coherence? It's one thing to study it. And then now it's time for us to actually create it and understand it. And what does it involve? Uh, is it, you know, it, you know, how does that that fractal momentum come into play and how does, does our intentions or our listening, like what is this dance that makes it all work? Because it would be really great to have more experiences, anthropological experience with these cryptids and these ETs and things like that and, and time travelers and everything. So it's really, like you said, you know, when we do spoon bending, I show pictures of kids in diapers. I'm like, we're just at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's so great to have you as a tour guide into the other dimensions and quantum physics so thank you so much for your work and your book yeah, no. uh, thanks those are really great questions we'll talk about that a little more next time yeah, everyone will show up for our rv mini rv workshop on the 22nd yeah We'll actually practice it it's one thing to talk about it Zanka, and it's another thing to actually experience it there's a lot of ways to experience it but when you experience it yourself, you realize, well, there's really something going on. I can trust it. It works. Yeah. It's already built into me. So, yeah, it's yeah. a constant process of exploration and it's learning to be tolerant of other ideas and just admitting, you know, there's much more going on than they taught me. That's the first step. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same way. Had my awakening. I'm like, I'm quitting my job and everything. Why didn't they teach us this? This is the most important thing. So yeah, we're all coming together. If we, you'd like to, you know, Adham just set up a new Facebook group. So if you guys want to come become collaborators, citizen scientists, let's figure this all out. It's facebook.com slash groups slash lightnet collaborators. And we'd love to see you there to continue this conversation and uh, start experimenting. I'm like renewing my fervor in this teleport, um, this uh, teleportation of objects and jewels. I want to reach out to you. So make sure that we connect because I would love to have you in this experiment because I am thinking that, that having the cryptids involved would be really, really fun. So, so yeah, thank you so much. And we'll see you on the 20th. <laughs> okay. Take care. We'll see you next time.